0: And to be able to preach the Word with you again, uh, it's always just such a privilege and blessing for me. And so I pray that you, would be, that you would hear from the Lord today, that you would be blessed by His Word as we open it together again. Would you bow your heads with me once more as we pray to the Lord? Heavenly Father, we thank you again for this beautiful day. We thank you, Lord, for the various things that you're doing in our church And for the various things that you're doing in our lives. But Lord, we pray that you would continue to speak to us this morning. I pray, Lord, that you would use me as your vessel, that these words may be your words. That we would be blessed by you, Lord, that we would hear from you and be able to be transformed by what you would have us do because of it, Lord. I commit myself to you and I commit your people to you as well, Lord. And I thank you for all that you will do and continue to do in our lives. pray these things in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. The Gospel of God is a radical claim. According to the Gospel, God, the Creator of the universe, determined long ago to extend His grace to you and I. You and I, who were opposed to God, dead in our sin and deserving of His wrath, have been offered life through Jesus. According to the gospel, if you and I were to believe and put our trust in Him, we would be children of God, receiving every spiritual blessing with Christ. We would be united with Christ. Sharing, in, sharing His power over death and the ability to overcome the desire to return to our wickedness. Not only that, but you and I would be surrounded with other brothers and sisters who have been united with Christ. And together we would, build, would be built up into the household of God by the Spirit with the goal that we would become mature. And we would be filled with the fullness of God the gospel gives us life it grants us reconciliation and it guarantees transformation we are new creatures we have been redeemed yet sadly these beautiful truths are not being realized in our lives For many of us here today, our lives don't reflect the gospel. And here lies the problem. If God has done an incredible work in us, why aren't we radically different than the world around us? Why do we often mirror the habits and thought patterns of the world rather than our Lord? How can it be that we who have been united with Christ continue to return to our old ways as if God never redeemed us? How is it that the church is often marred by gossip and infighting instead of being marked by unity and love? If God is transforming us, our lives should reflect it. There are some of us here today who affirm and believe the gospel, yet our lives are inconsistent with our beliefs. We profess to know the truth, but refuse to allow God to rule every area of our lives. There is a disconnect between what we believe and how we live our lives. The problem for many of us is that while we have accepted the facts of the gospel, we have failed to ask the important question How then are we to live? How are we to live? How are we to conduct ourselves in our daily lives? When we're at work, in school, in our homes, or here at church, how are we to live? You see, the gospel is not a series of facts that tells us where we've come from, it also propels us towards who we are becoming. Therefore our lives ought to be a reflection of all that God has done in us. We are to let our lives reflect God's work in us. This morning we will find 3 ways to live as a reflection of God's work in us. Turn with me again in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 5 verses 15 through 21. The book of Ephesians, chapter 5, verses 15 through 21. Ephesians 5, verses 15 through 21. Follow with me as I read. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand the will of the Lord. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, and giving thanks always. And for everything to God the Father, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another, out of reverence for Christ. The first way you, that we are to let our lives reflect God's work in us is this. We are to live wise. Since God is at work in us, we are to walk in wisdom. Look again at verses 15 through 16. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but wise, making the best of the time because the days are evil. The book of Ephesians can be divided into two main sections. The first section, chapters 1 through 3, provide the presentation of the gospel. The second section, chapters 4 through 6, provide the practical application of the gospel. Beginning in chapter 4, we've received a series of walk statements, or how-to-live statements. In 4.1, we were told to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which we have been called. In 4.17, we were told to no longer walk as we once did. In 5.1, we were told to walk in love as imitators of God. And in 5.8, we were told to walk as children of light, proclaiming Christ to others. And finally, here in verse 15, we receive the last walk statement. Look carefully, then, how you walk, not as unwise, but wise. Just as he has previously done, Paul begins by instructing us in the way we ought not to live, as unwise. This instruction is in keeping with the understanding that we are no longer the same. We have been changed. We can no longer be unwise, for we have learned Christ and are being built up by God to full maturity. If you are a believer in Jesus, this may have been true of your past, that you were darkened in your understanding and were giving yourself up to impurities. But that can no longer be the case. Because as a believer in Jesus, you have been changed. You have been transformed. So then we are to be careful not to return to our former unwise ways, but continuous wise, because God has done a work in us. Paul says instead, believers are to live wise. What does it mean to live wise? Well, Paul instructs us that it means making the best use of the time. Literally, it means to take aggressive, it literally means aggressively taking advantage of every opportunity. Living wise means that we don't waste time, but we take full advantage of every moment we have to proclaim the greatness of God. Just as we saw in the video, we are taking advantage of the limited time that we've been given. In one sense, we stay on our toes, ready to act for God's glory. And why? Why must we stay alert? Because, or Why must we stay alert looking for every opportunity? Paul says it's because the days are evil. Look outside of these walls and you'll find a world that is decaying. You'll see a world where evil runs rampant and justice hides. Read the papers and you'll see death and pain. Turn on the TV and you'll see wickedness rewarded. As believers, we don't relax in these days, but we set our hope on the day when Jesus will return in glory and judge this world, putting an end to evil and injustice. On that day, our Lord will reign with righteousness, But until that day comes, we must make the most of this time by proclaiming the good news of Jesus because these days are evil. To walk wise is to look forward to that day when Christ reigns supreme by making the most of this time. It is to live a life with the readiness to move and do God's work. Recently, I had the privilege of traveling with Moody Bible Institute to Israel. During the trip, we visited most of the country and stayed in several different places. Since we were moving from place to place, it was important that we not unpack our suitcases wherever we stayed. So each morning, I took out the clothes that I wanted to wear the next day, set them out, closed the suitcase, and put it out so that I could put it on the bus because we were moving to the next location. I couldn't get too comfortable because each day I had to be ready to move. Those rooms weren't my home. I wasn't going to stay there longer than a day or two. My time was limited. In the same way, you and I experience a similar thing. Here in this world, our time is limited. This world is not our home. Just as I was not to get too comfortable, we shouldn't get too comfortable here in this world. We should be wise, ready to make the best use of time by giving glory to God with all the time that we have available to us. You see, when we become comfortable, we become dull and callous. We become insensitive to the things that are against God in our own lives, and the lives of those around us. Sin doesn't bother us like it once did. The call to evangelize isn't as loud. And slowly we begin to return to our old ways of living. For some of us, it means that we return to our old sins again. The things that we were redeemed from, we've gone back to forgetting that God has done something in our lives. Yet this passage reminds us that we are no longer unwise, but wise. We are to make the most of this time. For others of us, the question that we have to ask ourselves is, how am I spending my time? Am I making the best use of it? Too often, we waste our time with activities that don't lead to our spiritual maturity. We spend hours watching TV or browsing the internet and try and by the time our day is finished, we realize that we've run out of time to spend with our Lord. How do you begin your day? Do you start by reading email or checking or checking Facebook? Whatever your morning routine, I challenge you to start your day by first praying to God and asking for wisdom and guidance. And determined to reflect upon God's word throughout the day. Making the best use of our time also means that we look for opportunities to share the gospel with others. Since these days are evil, we understand that there are many family members and friends who have not accepted the gospel. Living wise means that we pray for these individuals and look for opportunities to proclaim God's goodness. Who has God placed in your life to pray for? Are you looking for opportunities to share what God is doing in your life? How are we to live? First, you and I are to live wise. Second, we are to live working out God's purpose for us. The way we live should develop out of an understanding of God's action in our lives. Look at verse 17 with me. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Again, Paul begins by telling us what not to do. We are not to become foolish. Similar to the person who is unwise, the foolish person is opposed to God. Proverbs tells us that a fool jokes about doing wrong. is careless and lacks understanding. A fool doesn't acknowledge his or her dependence upon God. Further, the fool lacks sense and is unable to apply God's truth to his or her life. Instead, Paul calls us to understand what the will of the Lord is. You know, a lot of times when we think about wanting to know the will of the Lord, we think of it in terms of personal guidance. We say... I want to know what, the will of, what God's will is for my life. Or does he want me to take this job or that job? Or does he want me to move to this college or that one? Or does he want me to marry this person or not? And while it is helpful to bring those kinds of things to God, this is not what Paul has in mind here. By the will of the Lord, Paul is referring to God's desire or intention. He has used the phrase earlier in the book to refer to God's plan of salvation, through which has already been revealed. According to His will, His desire, God has adopted us as sons through Jesus Christ. It was according to His will that we have been saved. And it is according to His will that we are being built up to spiritual maturity. It is this will that Paul is calling us to understand. What does he mean to understand the Lord's will? By understand, Paul is not simply referring to an intellectual understanding. For him, to understand is to know and take action upon that knowledge. We as believers are to grasp the facts of God's salvific plan and apply them to our daily lives. In other words, we are to understand God's purpose for us and work it out. Further, this understanding is not simply a one-time action, but it is a continual one. We are to continually understand God's purpose for us. Paul tells us we are not to be foolish, but understand the will of the Lord. This summer, my wife and I are taking a trip to China to visit our friend Liz. Liz teaches English as a missionary there in China. When she first began the process of moving to China, we all had the idea to visit her while she was there. This idea turned into a desire, and we became determined to make the trip. We've been planning this trip for several months. We discussed travel arrangements, the budget, the places to visit, and the things to do. Our hotels are booked, tickets are bought, and Come July 1st, Meredith and I will be on a plane to visit Liz. But what if, in spite of our great desire to see Liz and experience the culture of China, we never actually went? What if we spent all of our time talking about the things we could do in China, or the places we could go, or the foods we could sample, but then simply sat at home? What if, We discussed what, what the flight might be, and we discussed the cost of tickets, but never looked for that information or booked the flight. What if we talked about going downtown to the consulate to fill out our visas, but never actually went down and never turned in the paperwork? What if in spite of hours of dreaming, planning, and discussing, we never took action? In many ways, our relationship with God is like this. We easily spend hours thinking and talking about God. We make lists about the things that please God. We dream about the places we could go to do His will. We spend years studying God without realizing that unless we are also applying His truth to our lives, all the information is useless. It is not enough to know God intellectually we must also know God intimately, asking His Spirit to transform us into the man or woman He desires us to be. I pray that you would not be satisfied with knowing a lot about God, but that you would determine to apply His truth to your life. First, we are to live wise. Second, we are to live working out God's purpose for us. And third, we are to live controlled by the Spirit. We are to continually yield ourselves to the work of the Spirit. Look with me at verses 18 through 21. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery. But be filled with the Spirit. Addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Just as he's done previously, Paul again begins with a negative. He tells us what not to do, and he says, do not get drunk with wine. Notice that the prohibition is not against wine itself, but against the excessive consumption to the point of drunkenness. The prohibition flows from the preceding commands. Being drunk with wine leads to a person's loss of control, causing an inability to live wisely and an inability to understand the Lord's will. Instead, the person gets, who gets drunk with wine acts foolishly as the unwise person does. Paul goes on to say that the reason why believers shouldn't get drunk is that it is debauchery. The word debauchery is so interesting because it refers to a kind of wasteful living. The life categorized by debauchery is shameless and undisciplined. This life can only lead to ruin. It is the opposite, then, of the kind of life that God is calling us to lead. It is not the kind of life that takes advantage of every opportunity or understands the Lord's will and applies it to their life. A drunken person lacks understanding and control. Now, I understand that there are some of you who have struggled with the dependence on alcohol you know very well that giving yourself up to the habit of drunkenness can only lead to ruin. Now I urge you, because of your past, if you know that the slightest bit of alcohol might lead to a path of dependence, stay away from it. Don't even come near it. The consequences are too severe. Paul says that instead of being controlled by wine, we are to be controlled by the Spirit. Paul has already explained that the Spirit has sealed us as a guarantee of our salvation. But now Paul is calling us to allow the Spirit to continually change us. Most translations read filled with the Spirit. But it might be better to understand this passage as saying, be filled by the Spirit. What Paul has in mind here is that the Spirit is the agent through whom we are being transformed. Further, to be filled with the Spirit is not just a one-time event. It is a continual yielding ourselves to the Spirit's control. As the Spirit leads us and transforms us, we are submitting ourselves to the Spirit. Every day you and I are to surrender ourselves to the Spirit's work in our lives. And what does it look like to be filled by the Spirit? Some have taken this to mean that we are actively practicing the charismatic gifts of speaking in tongues, healing and prophesying. But that is not what Paul is referring to here. Here there are three results that Paul gives to being filled by the Spirit. Look with me. The first result is that those who are controlled by the Spirit will encourage one another. Paul writes, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs have always functioned as a means to learn about and to celebrate the character of God. So in other words, we are, encu- we are to encourage one another with stories of God's faithfulness and goodness. When you, al- you, when you and I allow ourselves to be controlled by the Holy Spirit, one of the results is that we begin to encourage one another. We use as our words to bring life by speaking to each other the things that God is doing in our lives. And as we do so, we encourage each other while we're in need. You've experienced this, haven't you? There have been times in my life when I have felt dried and discouraged by some circumstance. But someone comes alongside of me and shares with me what God is doing in their lives. And because of this conversation, I receive joy. And I'm encouraged. Paul is telling us that encouraging one another is a natural result of the Holy Spirit controlling our lives. I want you to think carefully about a time when God was faithful in your life. Now, I want you to think of another brother or sister who you can share this experience with so that they might be encouraged by God's faithfulness. Now, if you're not regularly meeting with others, I encourage you. Join one of our small groups where you'll be able to be encouraged by the stories of God's faithfulness with one another. We are to encourage one another so that we might be built up. The second result is that those of us who are controlled by the Spirit will give thanks to God. Paul continues, but be filled with the Spirit, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Those who are, who are, who, those who are controlled by the Spirit respond by giving thanks to God for all of His goodness. As you and I yield ourselves to the Spirit, we naturally praise and thank God for the things that He has done. We are no longer discontent with what we don't have but are satisfied in God. Rather than be dissatisfied with the job that we don't have or the house we can't afford, we praise God and thank God for the blessings that He has given us. Even in difficult circumstances, we recognize that God has given us far more than we deserve by extending His grace and bringing us salvation. We yield ourselves to the Spirit. We will be filled with a heart of gratitude and praise. How has God blessed you? In what ways have you seen the good hand of God provide for you? Make it your practice to thank God for His blessings every day and pray that the Spirit will change your discontentment into satisfaction in Jesus. The third result is that those who are controlled by the Spirit are willing to submit to one another. Paul writes, Be filled with the Spirit, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. This means that we are willing to forego our individual pride and submit ourselves to the authority of others. We relate to one another in humility considering others more significant than ourselves. Additionally, this submission comes out of reverence for Christ. It is out of our relationship with Jesus that we are to submit to one another. We submit to one another knowing that Jesus is our ultimate master. I'm struck that this kind of lifestyle is counter to what we want to do. We'd rather be on top. We'd rather be number one. But just as God has worked to bring us salvation, He is continually at work in us to transform us to be more and more like Him. To have the humility of Christ who humbled Himself unto death. So we too are to submit ourselves unto unto those who are in positions of authority over us. We are to have humility with one another. As we allow ourselves to be under the control of the Spirit, these results will flow from us. That is why Paul contrasts being drunk with being filled by the Spirit. You know what it is like when a person is drunk. I'm sure you've seen it. When a person is drunk, it is said that they are under the influence. The alcohol influences their actions. Their speech is slurred by the alcohol. The person begins to talk in ways they hadn't before. There are some people who talk about certain things that they wouldn't have if they were not under the control of alcohol. A drunken person doesn't walk normally, but they stumble and fall over themselves. They have completely given themselves over and are controlled by the alcohol. Now compare that to the person who is filled by the Spirit. The person who is filled by the Spirit is under the influence of the Spirit. But now it is the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, that is controlling that person's actions. Their speech, their emotions, and their walk are determined by the work of the Holy Spirit in them. Their speech sounds different. The person who is controlled by the Spirit begins to talk in ways they hadn't before. Their walk is different. Their actions become determined by their relationship with God. The person who is filled by the Spirit gives him or herself over and is controlled completely by the Spirit. What controls your life? What determines how you feel, what you say, and what you do? For some of you, your problem is in alcohol. But please don't think that just because that isn't your problem, but there aren't some other things that God is asking you to change. Perhaps you evaluate your life and realize that you are not living under the control of the Spirit, but under the control of your flesh. Your actions are determined by your own desires. Maybe it's your desire to be praised. So you do whatever it takes to be exalted. Maybe it's your desire to be to find pleasure, so you concede to every opportunity for sexual impurity. What controls you? Is it your circumstance? Is how you feel, what you say and do determined by the experiences you have? Or is it determined by the relationships you have? Are you controlled by the people around you and your desire to fit in? Do you decide what you will do by the way in which you will be perceived and received by others? All of these things can serve as harmful influences. God is calling us to be controlled by the Holy Spirit. He is calling us to yield ourselves to Him so that we might continue to grow in maturity. First, we are to live wise. Second, we are to live working out God's purpose for us. And finally, we are to live under the control of the Spirit. If you have believed and accepted the gospel of God, you are no longer the same. You have been transformed by God. It is because of God's great work in you that you can no longer live as you once did. Be careful then to live your life as a reflection of God's continuous action in you. Let your life reflect God's work in you. There are some of you here, I'm sure, that have never accepted nor believed the gospel of God. Perhaps you've wondered how you could find satisfaction in your life. I want you to know that as much as you search, wherever you search, apart from Jesus Christ, you will never find purpose and meaning in your life. Jesus not only, not only offers you salvation from your sins, but also offers transformation for your life so that by faith in Him you might live a life pleasing to God. I pray that you would trust in Jesus as your Savior and Lord. And then I pray that you will let your life reflect God's work in you. How then are we to live? How are we to live in light of the gospel of God? We are to let our lives reflect God's work in us. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for all that you're doing in our lives. We thank you for the gospel and how it has saved us and how it is sanctifying us and how it is calling us to live lives pleasing to you. Lord, I pray that we wouldn't waste our time here on earth, but that we would make the most of it for your honor and glory. I pray, Lord, that we would not be foolish, but that we would understand what it means that you have purposed us to be saved. Father, I pray that you would help us to live lives controlled by the Spirit so that we may continue to be transformed by you. We thank you and we love you and we pray these things in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen.